Thank you so much. God's good, isn't He? And that's, that's great. Great singing, great hymns this morning. Thank you so much, Walter. Um, I want to thank Robbie. I, I've, I've had a couple of brutal weeks and Robbie's covered for me a couple of times and I want to thank Robbie for doing that past Wednesday night. And also, I want to mention again, I do this every once in a while, of our, our, you know, we have a lot of people that do a lot of things during the course of the week that make church function. And as we get more and more involved and life gets more and more back to normal, more and more people are doing more and more things. But we have men that, that cut our grass every week, volunteers. And we have these teams, and I don't know how many are on each team, but every week uh, volunteers come up here and they groom our yard. And I am every time I pull in here, I am so grateful for their volunteering to cut, you know, there's probably cutting four or five acres every week, and I just want to say thank you. But also I want to say, if you like cutting grass, <laughs> my address is 3668. Oh, no, you can, you, we, we would love for you to help the we teams here. Uh, Sam Spivey is somewhere. Sam's one of the leaders. Scott uh, Braswell's one of the leaders on those teams. But I, I'm looking, several of these guys do it, and I am so grateful that three or four of these guys every week get together on Thursday or Friday or Saturday and cut our grass. That's a blessing, isn't it? So thank you guys for doing that. I really appreciate it. And while I'm saying that, the other thing you have to think about is every time we're in here, there's a bunch of nursery workers in the back keeping preschoolers. Praise the Lord. And let me also say on that, we do extended teaching care. It's called ETC. And so you have to remember now, every time we're in here, there's a bunch of preschoolers back there being taught and, and, and led, and they need volunteers, okay? So if you want to work there, let's church life so we can talk about it. If you'd like to volunteer, we'd, we'd be glad, or Diane would be glad to put you in the, put you in the rotation. Well, while I'm doing it, let's talk about something else. Uh, Wednesday nights, you know, for years, years we've done this. And, you know, when more and more we're getting back to normal, not quite on Wednesday nights like we once were, but we serve a meal on Wednesday nights. And we have cooking teams. And so we don't charge a set amount. It's a love offering. And we've done that for 17 or 18 years. And we're able to do that because our cooks are volunteers. So if you're interested in helping uh, Rhonda Givens, Rhonda, are you here? If you would be interested in working on a cooking team, and that would be one Wednesday night a month. And, uh, and right now we, we're entering our summer schedule, so it's snack supper. So it's not like, you know, meeting three. But sometime in the fall, we'll start back to a meeting three. But we have cooking teams. You wouldn't do it alone. So if you're interested, you can see Miss Rhonda. Uh, I know Miss Brenda Marks would help you do that as well. This is things in church life that we've gone without for a while. But it's time to pick some of these things back up. And so uh, you are the body of Christ. Many members, but one body. And it says we're members of one another. Are Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Isn't that awesome? So none of us are to do it alone. Your Bible's open this morning to Revelation chapter 11. And before I read Revelation chapter 11, we dealt with some of this last Sunday morning. Um, this, is, this is where the, the two witnesses are resurrected from the dead. And, uh, and isn't it merciful if you're thinking about this? So Revelation chapter 11, and in a moment I'll begin reading somewhere around verse 10. Isn't it merciful? I want you to think about the God that we serve. By the way, more of our Christian living is ahead of us than is behind us. I, I don't care if you live to be 110 years old. 
you have more ahead of you than is behind you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The very things I read earlier about Jesus having authority over the history of mankind, giving John a revelation of what's going to happen in the future. Uh, he tells him that. Things that are going to be, I'm going to show you. So John gets to see it, hear it, experience it, and he writes it down in a book. But he's waiting for Jesus to have authority over the rest of that history. And of course, Christ does, and he loosens the seal. I love what it says there. It's in Revelation 5, 6. And he loosened the and he, and he says, weep not for the lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the root of David, is worthy, isn't it? Amen. Worthy to open those seals. And so now we know the rest of history. And that history includes the other end, or we might even say the other side of eternal life, right? I mean, when you got saved, whenever that was, for me it was 16, when you got saved, the Bible says you, God gave you eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? But is there not more of that in the future than there is in this world? That was true even when Methuselah lived to be 969 years of age. God promised him that there was a greater future than living 969 years on this earth. Folks, we've got a lot to live for, but not only now, but you're preparing for eternity. This is part of what Jesus talks about in, in the Sermon on the Mount and when he talks about the meek shall inherit the earth. These are some of the principles that we will experience as believers when Christ comes and rules and reigns uh, in this world. But, I, but this issue, just a thought, and then I want to read some cross-references that I've been meaning to read for two weeks. So you're going to give me, I want to read them in the front or I'll forget them again. But isn't it merciful that in the middle of the tribulation, and that's when I believe the prophets, those two witnesses that we'll read about in a minute, isn't it merciful that in the middle of tribulation, dead center of the tribulation, just about the time the Antichrist is going to break his covenant and God's been pouring out his judgments and they realize it's the wrath of God that says that in, in, in chapter 6 of Revelation and chapter 9, they know it's the wrath of God. But here in in Revelation 11, we think that this is something that happens in the middle of the tribulation when the two prophets or witnesses are killed, that God raptures them right in front of the worldwide audience, right? Remember, they're looking on, we reading just, isn't that merciful? But here's what's sad is, you know, nobody, nobody, people don't respond to the gospel because of that. That's what it's going to tell us, that even though this, this rapture happened in front of worldwide television, and Jerusalem, these bodies stand up. A voice from heaven says, come up here, and they are called up into heaven in front of every, all these watching eyes. That does not lead people to repentance. By the way, when the demons do their work in, in Revelation chapter 9, that doesn't lead to repentance. So let me just tell you something. If you think that you're going to hang in there and you're going to show God who's boss, and you think you're going to get saved during the tribulation, if you're not going to get saved now in the age of grace, when it won't cost you your life to get saved, you won't get saved then. Okay, And uh, as a matter of fact, part of the God's judgment, in 2 Thessalonians, is he sends strong delusions so that many people won't hear and believe the gospel. Would you listen to this verse? I, I've known this verse for ages. Uh, listen to this. This is Paul's wisdom, and this is in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Right? So if we don't believe in, in a res our resurrection, His resurrection, His resurrection from the dead, a new body, 
We're going to follow Him. If we so if that didn't happen, you're still dead in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Jesus have perished. So if, if Christ is not who He says He is, you and I are going to die in our sins and everybody that died, quote, in Christ, they really just died, they perished. If in Christ, now listen to this, this is a strong verse. This is uh, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, I think. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. Now here's what he's saying. Let me say it again. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. If knowing Jesus gives meaning to this life alone and not to a life that's to come. Are you listening to me? Paul says we are pathetic. That's what it says. You're, we are to be pitied. So if G, knowing Jesus doesn't affect our life now and the life that is to come, our faith is futile. He said it's pitiful. It's pitiful to have that kind of faith. But, but our Lord does change our life now and will give us a greater life in the days to come. Amen? Amen. Folks, I believe that as much as I'm standing here. And, and the older I get, the more I read Scripture... And I want to say the more and more I fall in love with Christ and His Word, the more and more I believe that, that Jesus is coming. And, uh, and, and I think He's coming very soon. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we, He made us alive together with Christ and He raised us up with Him. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on because their deeds follow them. Think about that. Your deeds follow you. Not just your reputation in this world, but your role in the next. Your deeds follow you, Revelation 14, 13. Of course, along with that is what I dealt with Friday morning in our devotion. Uh, you can watch on Facebook. I do, you know, is uh, by their fruits you'll know them. The root leads to the fruit. That's a pretty emphatic statement when Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, and a good fruit don't produce bad fruit. And he said, every believer produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. Surely my age, this is, listen to this, David thinking about the brevity of life. Uh, this is David writing uh, the Psalms and you think, David, you know, you're down in the tw past the 20th generation of biblical history and you know, you're gone from 950 years, Adam, Methuselah, 969. And now David lives like 70 years. He dies, I think, about 70 years of age. Solomon dies at 60. And this is what David says. He says, Surely my age is as nothing before you. Mankind stands as a mere breath. Then he says, that's Psalm 39.3. Then he says in 39.11, Simply, all mankind is a mere breath. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, I then considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended doing it. And behold, all was vanity. All of it was striving after the wind. You see, the Bible's true when Jesus said in Revelation 1-3, for the time is near. 
The time was near even when Methuselah lived to be 969 years of age. But the time is near now. Christ's return is near. It says, And if the Lord had not cut short the days of the tribulation, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those whom He chose, He shortened the days. Matthew 24, 22. So it says that the wrath of God is going to be so severe during those seven years of tribulation, of which we're not here, that God's going to have to cut it short because no human would survive that. And there has to be humans to enter the millennial kingdom. Uh, indeed, all who desire to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3. Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. John 17, 14. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. That's what we dealt with today in Sunday school. Resist the devil firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world is common. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. This is this deception, this mystery of wickedness uh, that the Bible speaks about, that the, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Little children, you are from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak, and the world listens to them, but we don't listen to them. I love John 10. I think it's around verse 4 or 5. John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And then Revelation 1, 9. I tell you what, hold your finger here. You like That's one of my favorite phrases now. Hold your finger there and go back to Revelation 1. Listen to what John says when he's introducing the, uh, the Revelation uh, Revelation 1 and, and look what he says in, in uh, verse 9. He says, I, John, and he's on the island of Patmos. And again, this is 2,000 years ago, but this is, you know, we're, uh, we're 70 years into or 60 years into the church age when, when John writes the Revelation, 60, 65 years into the church age. Church age. We're still in the church age. The age of grace. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that we're all going to go through the tribulation, but we will experience what? Tribulation. Suffering. But we're not going to experience the tribulation. There's a big difference in having an article and it being defined based on the book of Daniel, the tribulation, then saying we will experience tribulation. Are we suffering? I'm asking you now, as a believer in the 21st century, even in the southern states of the Bible Belt, are we suffering for Jesus? Unlike any other time. Am I right? And the Bible promises this is what it's going to be like in the days to come. A couple more verses I just want to read. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So, the God of this age, who's the devil, blinds the minds 
of unbelievers who may have an opportunity to hear the gospel so they won't see the light. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, which John refers to as the spirit of the Antichrist as well. It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And that's in John 12. And, and this is... This is the events when Jesus sends out disciples and the disciples have power over evil spirits. And so Jesus is making a reference to now the authority of his kingdom. He's demonstrating the authority of his kingdom. And folks, we, we enjoy that authority and that power when we preach the gospel and God breaks the, 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 the bonds of sin in people and brings them to the point of repentance. We're in this world as lights. We're in this world as salt. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against us. We're the ones attacking. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's one of my memory verses in, as a teenager. I learned it in New King James, but uh, these things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Aren't you glad that Christ has overcome the world? Listen to this. Now Paul's talking about false worship. Y'all heard some of this last week. He says, no, he's talking about the difference in what pagan sacrifice and our dedication at the Lord's table, which by the way, we're going to have today. That was my era. Uh, I forgot all about it. I didn't feel good and I forgot all about it. Walter playing the Lord's Supper music and I just didn't do the Lord's Supper. So we'll, we'll fix that. I can fix that. Um, he says, no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons... Now, folks, this is interesting. Uh, I, Paul says, I'm implying that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. You can't be bowing to idols of this world which are connected to de demonology or demons. You can't do that and honestly bow before the Lord's table and, and honor Him and remember Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. Another one of those kingdom verses. Uh, by the way, if you're reading the Gospels, the, syno the synonymous Gospel, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus mentions the kingdom, almost always when He mentions the kingdom, He's casting out demons. The context is He's doing some powerful work no one of those is found in Luke 10 and Jesus said this and he said to them, I think this is when he sent out the 72 and they had authority over spirits that they had never had authority over. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And what he was saying was, is there all this work that these disciples were doing, sharing the gospel, preaching the truth, the kingdom of Satan was being ravaged by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where they... Conf they can they uh, accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Bezalel or by the power of Satan. Now, but I want you to listen to what, what Jesus says because it tells us that this evil kingdom, that, that there is a Satan, a devil, Lucifer, uh, the angel of light, however you want to call him, and he does rule a kingdom. Jesus is saying, going to say that. 
He says, and, and if Satan, so they've accused him of casting out Satan by Satan's power, which doesn't make sense. And if Satan, this is Jesus in Luke 11, and if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So Jesus there indirectly is reminding us that Satan has a kingdom. This kingdom is his world. This world is his kingdom. He's the prince of the air. He's the archon of this world, the ruler of this world. So he says, if, for, if you say I cast out demons by Bezalbul, which is an Old Testament slang for, for the devil, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then you know the kingdom of God has come. You know, when I knew the kingdom of God was real was when Christ broke down my sin, when he exposed to me my sin, convicted me of my sin and guilt, and brought his kingdom into my kingdom. That's when I realized that he was exactly who he says he is. He says, for no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants disguise themselves. So we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me say that again. 2 Corinthians 2.11 So we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And to me, one of the most important New Testament verses for living the Christian life, in my classes, we're dealing with sanctification Sunday school class, and so we're talking about progressive sanctification. I don't get into that now and teach class, but where we progressively get more and more set apart. Here's a great verse for that. Paul says, For we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. In all those terms, that's Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 6, all those terms, and I've said this two weeks ago, all those terms are, are territorial terms. So again, Satan has a kingdom and he's distributed his minions all over this world. And I gave you the illustrations, you know, last week, the, the battle that Daniel had in his prayer and the angel shows up and says, hey, I was battling with the prince of Persia. I got to go battle the prince of Greece, letting us know that these entities, these spiritual domains, that there's these evil spirits and fallen angels trying to do things in the world. All that is to set the tone for your Bibles open again to Revelation chapter 11. And let me begin reading. This is in the middle of the tribulation, I think. I uh, could be wrong, and it's okay if I am. Uh, and I think historically, if you're, if you're thinking about this, this is a perfect time if, if, if Satan, if the Antichrist is infused with power from the abyss, and that's what it tells us, chapter 11, and these two witnesses who have been preaching the gospel and can do all kind of miracles. And folks, let me just say this. And I'm, we ended last week with me kind of repeating this, um, that, you know, this may be uh, Moses and Elijah because these are the miracles, the power they have are the exact powers that Moses displayed against Pharaoh and the Egyptians and that Elijah had, that Elisha witnessed that Elijah had. There, so th these could be Moses and Elijah come back from the dead, right? Because we know they're alive, right? They're really not dead, they're alive because they were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the two guys. If you're reading there in Matthew's Gospel, the Mount of Transfiguration, I think it's Matthew 17, on the mountain and Jesus is 
somewhat transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. And with him are Moses and Elijah. Well, Moses and Elijah were the two witnesses there, and they're probably the two witnesses here. And if it's not them, it's obviously somebody that has the spirit of Moses and Elijah. They've been preaching those first three and a half years, and they're preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ being Lord of the world, and the, the world's full of demonic entities, and you know chaos is breaking out, and God's Holy Spirit's been removed through the church. And you can imagine, you know, we know what... First Thessalon or Second Thessalonians two teaches about the restrainer being removed. So it's just chaos. So these two witnesses are preaching the gospel along with those two witnesses of the hundred and forty four thousand witnesses that are Jews, right? That are all over the world preaching to Jews, and so there's going to be Jews and Gentiles saved because of that. But anyway, so so verse ten says, and those who dwell on the earth, so they are killed by the Antichrist. Um, uh, so for three and a half days, verse nine. Uh, the peoples and the tribes and the languages and the nations all gazed at their dead bodies. And it says all, uh, all the peoples and tribes and languages and nations. Again, let me say this. It does not say races. Let me remind you, if you believe the Bible, you believe there is one race. Right? So what the world and social movements scream about racism cannot be, if you believe the Bible, like they say it is. Um, it's sin. Sin nature, right? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm arrogant. You're arrogant. I'm self-righteous. You're self-righteous. And that is spread across the world. Let's move on. So it says, they will gaze at their dead bodies and they will refuse to let them be placed in the tomb for three and a half days. And those who dwell on the earth, remember that phrase, dwell on the earth, earth dwellers. They love being in the world. They love dwelling here. They will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. So we move to present tense. You just see how, I mean, this is reality. You know, you, this, you know, the Bible says that you're, you've been seated in the heavenlies already. So it, all, it, 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 it is, and it already will be in, in God's mind. So, so, so the, the Spirit of God, uh, breath of life, God will enter them, and they stood up on their feet. Now John's seeing it. He, they stand up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And again, this is, is a little bit different than the original rapture. Uh, by the way, you know, rapture, heart pods appear several times in the New Testament. About nine times, Philip was raptured. Uh, uh, Enoch was raptured in the Old Testament. Uh, Elijah was raptured in the Old Testament. Anyway, so so this is, and it, they were they were going to be caught up in the air. When you and I, you know, it says in the in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. So I think our translation, the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us alive remain we call it meet the Lord in the air. And, and I don't know if Tim LaHaye, I don't know if you ever read much and know much about Tim LaHaye. I mean, he passed away a year, a couple of years ago. Big prophecy teacher. Uh, one of the things he said is that when you and I are raptured, we leave everything behind. Jewelry, clothing, you know, uh, 
external things or clothing. And that, you know, that's one of the things they believe. But, we're, but it's instantaneously. And then we're robed in the righteousness of Christ, right? Just an interesting picture. But these guys, people can see. Because that idea of 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen and people aren't going to realize it's happened. You know, it's going to be kind of an instantaneous thing. Going back to the text, uh, it says in, I'm sorry, it says in, in, they entered them, the Spirit of God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. That's exactly what G, uh, John heard in John in uh, Revelation 4.1. Spirit said, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, which is exactly like Jesus went up uh, in, according to Acts and the ascension. And the angels said that we would be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air, the clouds. Interesting. So they, so they see them going to the clouds and their enemies watch them and at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was passed and behold, the third woe is soon to come. Let me keep reading and I just want to mention just four or five simple points. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. Now know in the seventh trumpet is the final woe, but in the seventh trumpet, are the bowl judgments, okay? Seal judgments were pretty bad. Well, they are bad. The trumpet judgments are horrific. The bowl judgments are going to get worse. But let me read the text and take you into chapter 12. And then I'm going to share with you just two or three simple points this morning. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. See, we're fixing, this is, we're coming to the end now. We're past the mid part of the tribulation. We're fixing to get into these bold judgments and God is purging the world and he is, he's preparing to reign and to rule on this earth. So the kingdom of our Lord uh, and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And those verses I talked about earlier, that's us reigning with him. This is the kingdom that we're saved for now, the eternal kingdom, uh, the abiding life. Great picture and I, I say this a lot, but it helps you get a picture of it. Uh, Jesus goes to prepare an abiding place, right? John 14. So there's an abiding place because you don't belong here, right? Just think of the implication. I go, Jesus says, to prepare a place for you. So if he's going to prepare a place for you, you don't belong here. That, that's the implications there, applications. So that's the abiding place. But in John 15, he says, abide in me. So so there's abiding life and abiding place. It's the same word. There's an abiding life that started when I got saved and you got saved, but that life lives forever. And it's going to be lived one day in a resurrected body with all the saints that have been saved during the church age. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, loud voices in heaven, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And it's Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, by the way, and we discovered this way back in chapter 4 of Revelation, the elders represent the church. In the Old Testament, there were 24 orders of priests, not of elders, of priests who represented Israel. 
Well, there's 24 elders that represent the church age. And because you know it, it, they represent the church because everything that's going to happen to us, crowns, rewards, robes of white, they have, okay? So, and they sing the songs of redemption, right? So if these were angels, they would not be singing the song of redemption because they didn't get redeemed. These are elders that represent the church, but we move on. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, uh, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and you and begun to reign. So we're in the final stages where you're fixing to show your power and you're going to reign. The nations rage. That comes out of Psalms too. But your wrath came. So the world's going to reject. They, folks, do you realize that if you are literalist and you believe there's a literal battle of Armageddon, and there is at the end of the tribulation, the world thinks, okay, can, let's just stop. Let's just answer this. In the context of the tribulation, do the people that are unsaved on earth, do they realize where the wrath is coming from? Do they? Yeah, okay. Now, here's what's crazy, is they believe, based on probably demonology and, you know, worship of evil and Satan and deception and all kind of false belief, they believe that they can defeat God. Do you understand? They think they can defeat the God of Israel, that they know is defending Israel. They, they know this. They, it's the, it's the, they, and, and so th that's what they're coming against. So the nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I think that's referring to the fallen angels. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And by the way, if you study that, you know that God gave a pattern for the temple and that pattern came from heaven. Okay, So it says in God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Now folks, you're thinking this is, this is pretty wild. Well, I don't know what all that means. And, and because we're going to be in a different realm, it's true. But another thing that's important, remember what they've done to the temple that had been rebuilt during the tribulation? Remember, it's defiled. The Jews start worshiping again in the temple on Temple Mount during the tribulation. And the Antichrist stops that in the middle of the tribulation. And here, the true, the true temple and the true ark. See, the, the world can do whatever they want, but this is the God who reigns. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. I just want to read one verse in chapter 12, and, and then I just want to mention, uh, I got five minutes to mention a couple of things. Uh, verse 7, look at Revelation 12, 7. We'll come back and study the woman and the dragon. It's about the battle, you know, God choosing Israel, Mary, nation of Israel, then Mary, the birth of the child, and this battle, this Lifelong battle, and it starts in Genesis three. God tells them there's a, there's a battle, there's enmity. Genesis three fifteen between the seed of God and the seed of Satan. That's what it says, and it's gonna it's gonna go through the end of the tribulation. But we move on. Chapter twelve verse seven. Now war arose in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That's, he's the accuser. Satan's the accuser of the brothers. The book of Hebrews teaches that. The Old Testament teaches and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Did you hear that? Is that true right now, the deceiver of the whole world? Who's the truth? Christ is the truth. Who's the way? So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, right? So here's Satan devil and Satan, and it reminds us he's the deceiver of the whole entire world. And so this is where the Bible says the world lies in the lap of Satan, 1 John 5. The whole world lies in the lap of Satan. They have to hear the gospel of Christ and be saved, right? Right? This is how they get saved. Otherwise, they're going to die and go to hell. And they're in darkness. They're in bondage to the devil and the Adamic nature. So let's let me read. It says, and and it says, called devil and Satan, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. A third of them. So now you have all the evil spirits that appeared in Revelation nine, the more that appeared at the end of Revelation nine, and now you have Satan and his. And of course, they're around here now. This world we can't see. But, but now their domain is the earth. They don't have any access to the heavens, the paradise of God. They're all contained on the globe. And they, and they mean to deceive and destroy and to hold captive those that are bound and going to hell. So that's why the Bible says there's great deception in the last days. Terrifying, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're not going to be here? Now I wrote down, and I have two minutes. Listen to this. <laughs> well, there's no way I can read this in seven minutes. But let me. Okay, I tell you what. Let's do. I'm not gonna get all bent out of shape and try to cram it in. Oh, go to go to chapter. Go take Revelation. I'm right here. Go to Revelation six. We'll finish with this, okay? And then we're all gonna. I'm gonna say the blessing in here, and we're gonna all just go into the fellowship hall and have a great meal and fellowship. Uh, Revelation 6. Look at Revelation 6. Look at verse... Uh, verse 16. Now this is, this is the seal judgments, okay? Calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne. Who is seated on the throne? And from the wrath of the Lamb. It's God's throne, so... They know it's God's throne and they know the wrath is coming from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And then they ask the question, who, who can stand? Go to chapter 14, Revelation 14. Verse 7 says, there's another angel flying and he's preaching. And he said with a loud voice, verse 7, Fear God and give Him glory. Folks, there's no fear of God. The, the Egyptians, that's one of the great curses of the plagues, no fear of God were among the Egyptians. And today there's no fear of God. You know that. There's no fear of Him. But it says, no fear of God. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come 
and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and, and the waters. And, and another angel, uh, second father, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember, I keep telling you that's where it all started. That's where this great divide has been, right? The nations have been in darkness since then. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's the wrath of God. Look at chapter 14. Look at verse 19. Verse 17 says that another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And, and another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. God's wrath. Chapter 15. Look at verse 7. The one and then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full. Remember, Jesus loosens the seven seals and then there are seven angels that loosen the, that blow the trumpets the, the trumpet judgments and, and, and pour the wrath judgments, the bowl wrath. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. He lives forever and ever. Time in this world is limited. John, I mean, Revelation 16, 1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Chapter 16, look at verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, which I find interesting because he's, Satan is also known as the prince of the power of the air. And uh, it makes you wonder if, if at that time if there's, you know, maybe military planes and all, you just don't know. But he poured out his bowl in the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. Can, you know, it's, it's, I don't mean to be trite about this, but is God going to leave any wrath on the table? No, he's going to pour it out all and he's going to pour it out in full strength. One last time it mentions the wrath of God. Go to chapter 19. By the way, in our future, we have a marriage. We have a marriage celebration. The first miracle Jesus performed was at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, uh, John 2. There's going to be another wedding and it's called the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb and it's when all the saints gather together with Christ the bride and the, bri the bridegroom and us the bride and we celebrate our salvation. But that's also in John, uh, Revelation 19. But look at 19.15. It says, uh, 
Verse 14, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. The armies in heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Now the Bible's already told us who that is. It's me and you. So we're in his army. We're coming back. You know, we've been raptured. We've been to the judgment seat. We've been the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've been rewarded, cast our crowns. We're with him. We're coming back at the end of the tribulation with him. It says, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This is just a euphemism for his word. Do you know to tell you what the battle of Armageddon is going to consist of? A word from Christ and it's over, right? The word of Christ and it's over. That's the power of God's word. Comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me just ask you, is he your king? Is he your Lord? Is he? I pray he is. Folks, we do want you to stay afterwards. Uh, today is, and, and I'm not, we're not doing this to embarrass Avery in any way. God bless her heart. But we just want to have a little lunch and we're going to raise a little money. So all the money's going to go. And this is going to Avery. It's not going to go into one of her accounts. We're going to give this to Avery in some special way so she can use it, Mom. And we're going to trust Avery with it. And uh, maybe give her an Amazon card so she can buy stuff online. But just for her. And so all the monies we raise now will help uh, offset their expenses and help Avery in the days to come. God's good, isn't he? God's going to do a work in Avery and God's going to do a work in that family. I tell Chaz, and he knows this, I'm his pastor, but I'm, look, I'm watching and looking forward to what God's going to do spiritually in his and Melissa's heart. And, and that's, that's what God wants to do for his glory. Amen? They know that. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Thank you so much for your presence today. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Join us on Wednesday night. We start serving a meal about 5.20, 5.30. And we do Bible study at 6 for all ages. Let's pray. and Let's ask God's blessing on the food, but let's also on, on the Jordan family today. Father, we, we are so glad that there's victory in Jesus Christ. And Father, in, in a small way, in just a few moments, we've been able to, to see the consequences of God's judgment of sin, of sinners, of wickedness, and of the devil and the kingdom that he rules. And Father, we're so grateful that our salvation not only involves life now, but even more so the life hereafter, which is eternity. Father, thank you that we already know that for a thousand years, a thousand years, we're going to reign with you. We're going to rule the nations. We're going to lead them to love the Lord Jesus and obey biblical principles. Lord, it's going to be heaven on earth. But Father, until that day comes, we do battle. 
We're the salt and the light. We're the soldiers of the cross. Father, help us live to glorify you. Now, Lord, the food we take, the fellowship we enjoy, we give you the glory. Bless this sweet family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all so much. Join me, Fellowship Hall. If you don't want to eat here, you can...